Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Zach. Zach runs the blog Lordran and Beyond. Um, I guess it's a blog and a webcomic. Um, he does all of the writing and runs a Patreon to pay all of the artists that do it. You should definitely go stop what you're doing right now and go check out lordranandbeyond.com. Look at all for all the links in the show notes. Um, his Tumblr is one of the very first Tumblrs I followed when I started using Tumblr, and it was great. Uh, it's a delightful episode. Zach is an extremely interesting and entertaining dude with a unique perspective on the soul series that I think you guys are going to enjoy. Remember go to see don't give up skeleton.com for all of the links to the show that you could possibly need. And most importantly, enjoy this episode. Why don't you tell me about the uh, first time that you ever played a Souls game? Uh, the first time I ever played a Souls game. Uh, so I had I, the the PS3 in the mid to late 2009 was looking like a pretty appealing proposition. Um, Uncharted 2 was actually more of a, an attractive kind of sell on me than Demon Souls was at the time. And uh, I didn't get Demon Souls for a while. Uh, one of my friends, uh, whose online handle goes by Password, super great guy, he's awesome. Um, he actually bought the game. And uh, learned the rude awakening that it doesn't have a traditional pause mechanism when he had to answer the door for someone while he was fighting a boss. Didn't work out. Uh, so he's like, I, I'm not really going to – I like the game. You know, I don't think he was being unfair to it necessarily, but he's like, I'm, I'm not going to put in the patience for it. If you gift me Left 4 Dead 2 on Steam, I'll just send this to you. I'm like, okay, done deal. Here's Left 4 Dead 2. So, um, so he sends me Demon Souls in the mail, and I play it, and the, the initial kind of attraction to me – was how desolate and isolated the whole game feels. There's very little music. Generally, when you're exploring, it's just ambiance, enemies, things like that. Uh, of course, you can die very quickly and easily, and uh, not just because enemies are tough, uh, but they also ambush you. There's traps. Um, it's very easy to fall off places and die. Your character feels fragile. And what made this so appealing to me is because it reminded me of the very old Tomb Raider games. You're playing as Lara Croft, you're underneath Peru in some weird caverns. There's no one around for miles. Uh, wolves will attack you from, you know, vantage points. A bear is just going to run out of a stable and, you know, try and maul you to death, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. You're just walking in this big valley. There's a T-Rex creeping out of the darkness. Uh, on top of just, you know, again, height is your greatest enemy. Traps and things like that will kill you. You, you don't really know the rules of the level design until you learn the hard way. And, even though mechanically Demon Souls and classic Tomb Raider games are very different, that sense of appeal, that sense of like adventure, of being somewhere where you don't belong, and it really wants you out, uh, that was something that I thought permeated Demon Souls brilliantly. And that was my initial attraction to it. That was kind of why I, I stepped up to it. Um, didn't end up finishing it until after I later finished Dark Souls, uh, so there was kind of a gap in my, my Demon Souls experience. But uh, yeah, that was initially why I was drawn to it and kind of how it grasp me so where did you end up bouncing off of it uh it was unfortunately early on uh (laughs) i think um it wasn't a game that i had like pre-ordered and paid for uh i guess i did pay for it but it wasn't something that i had bought so i was like oh this is cool and then you know i'm playing to the first level i get through pretty successfully i open the gate where you fight phalanx in the beginning i see that spear the cutscene where the spear like lunges out of the darkness and lands like right in front of the gate. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'll try this later. (laughs) And I didn't really return to it until 
you know, Dark Souls is coming out. I'm like, I'll, I'll have to jump into this. Uh, love Dark Souls. Eventually did go back and finish Demon Souls a couple times. So That is uh, almost exactly where I bounced off of it. Uh, oh, I, wow. <laughs> yeah, I played it for like 40-something minutes. I have my original save file still on the PS3. Like the, oh. where, where I started up and played through and got to the boss and was like, this game is trash. This is too hard. I don't ever want to play it again. <laughs> and oh, then just no. sent it back to Gamefly. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that sucks. I that's a bummer. I mean, I had a very positive uh, reception of it. I guess because mm-hmm. it reminded me of something that I already really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I totally understand. You know, if it if it doesn't make a strong impression on certain people, so. Well, it's one of those things, like, after I fell in love with Dark Souls and, you know, played that game for hundreds of hours, I was like, oh, yeah, there's this whole other game that I've, you know, did a total disservice to that I should go back and check out. And, that you know, like you said, finished Demon Souls several times since then. So, Yeah, I, I'm really waiting on that remaster that gets rid of Eidenburn and lets us roll through the 5-2 muck. <laughs> Please, make it happen. <laughs> You just have those fingers crossed. Every E3, yeah. it's coming, right? Every E3. Yeah. Every, okay, they didn't do it on E3. They're going to do it at the Tokyo Game Show this time. I just know it. It'll I just know PSX. it. Yeah. PSX. It's definitely PSX. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I don't know how Miyazaki and FromSoft get away with being so conservative with Sony IPs like that. So it's 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 strange, and I can only imagine that it's because of the like weird rights stuff that's around. You know, Namco publishing it in the European region, Atlas publishing it over here in the U.S., and yeah. Sony publishing it over there. Like that has to be kind of a. But you would imagine that everybody would just want a small piece of it, and like it's not like right. It, it's an instantaneous thing, right? It, literally, every Souls fan would buy it without question. For sure. I think that maybe one of the complications, I think Sony probably has a lot of decision over that because one of Sony's internal studios also did help make Demon's Souls as well as Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know to what extent like work they did compared to From Software, but they're credited similarly. Um, I imagine it's probably just because FromSoft makes great games. I don't know if I would say they're great at making games because uh, a lot of their stuff, even Demon's Souls, which I would say technically looks like a a decent Dreamcast game runs like garbage, has horrible frame drops. I wonder if it's just a programming coding error. Like, I mean, we can touch this up and make it, you know, palatable on next-gen consoles. It would sell, uh, but I just, I wonder what kind of an undertaking that is. I, I wonder what engine the game runs on, actually. Yeah, and I'm, I've, I had a guy on here who um, kind of, he did a lot of work on Demon Souls, like reverse engineering the Demon Souls servers and things like that. And um, really, it's, yeah, yeah, oh. it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, he had, a, he has a, I think he still has a working Demon Souls server. So if you, um, if you know how to like route your DNS to point, you know, the Demon Souls servers to a different IP address, you can just like call him up and be like, hey, can you put it on pure black for me? And he's like, yeah, man, no problem, got it. <laughs> wow, so he could just manipulate the world tendency to. That's wild. That's yeah, it's it's really scary. really interesting. Um, I'll I'll send you a link. The episode was jibbed. Um, and uh, or Rick, I, he goes by both. But um, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll send you a link after this. Um, interesting. But it's it's weird to see how much like that that core Souls engine has developed over the years into Bloodborne and Dark Souls three, and then like still has some of the same cruft and jank. Like when they found all the the de leveling stuff from Demon Souls and. I want to say it was Dark Souls one, where people could get deleveled in PvP matches on PC. Like it was just insane. So yeah, there's there's lots of stuff going on there. Uh, it, in terms of the jank and like the technical competency of some of those titles, it, the irony is that I guess Dark Souls two is the least well received of them. Um, I still love it, but it's funny that I remember like even though the animations, which is more of a, a 
artistry aspect rather than a technical aspect of thing. Even though it does have some visual aspects that aren't so hot compared to the other games, boy, that game runs so much better. <laughs> Playing a Souls <laughs> game at 60 <laughs> FPS for the first time on PC was a liberating experience, I will say. I played Dark Souls 2 first on the 360 and then eventually uh, picked up... I'm not much of a PC gamer, so I picked it up on PS4 when Scholar came out and uh, just... Mm-hmm. Was like had seen Dark Souls run running at sixty frames per second and kind of didn't like it. I think just because it was so different from the thousand hours of Dark Souls that I had consumed up till then. But mm-hmm. something about Dark Souls two and that really really smooth frame rate just was super nice. It is definitely. I uh, I remember I played my only experience with Dark Souls two on console was uh, playing it before the servers went up. I think well I think the servers were up for a couple of days, but I primarily couldn't play it on its own, so I didn't have like much console multiplayer experience. But I did play it at 30 FPS, and then I played it at 60 on PC when it came out the following month. Uh, I believe Dark Souls 2 was March on console 2014, and then the PC version was April. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, playing that at 60 FPS, uh, especially because I'd played it like back-to-back with the console 30 FPS version was pretty nice. Oh yeah, and the PC, and the, excuse me, the 360 version, and probably the PS3 version as well was like some of the textures were really low res and kind of ugly and kind of muddy, and that that's still the same today. Like, there's yeah. Dark Souls Two has some has some pretty poor texture, especially in you know yeah. the um, oh, what's the green place whose name I can never remember on this podcast? Uh, uh, there's the well, valley um, of something, <laughs> one of the valleys. Uh, um, Earthen oh Valley, Earthen uh, Peak, something Earthen like that. Earthen Peak, Earthen Peak is hideous. Earthen Peak is hideous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvest Valley also hideous. A lot of the parts of Forest of Fallen Giants, even though I think that area is cool in terms of design, look bad. And then I think you could excise 70% of Brightstone Cove Soldera from that game. And because be I think that place is fine. also hideous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and one of my favorite areas in that game, which is the Shrine of Ramana, is one of the most hated ever. Like People just cannot stand to play through that because of the you know the, the wizards or the magicians or the sorcerers, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call them. And I, I don't... I, I don't remember when that nerf patch went out to make that place a little easier to get through, but I played it pre-release and I didn't have as much of an issue with it. I, I thought the area, I mean, I, it's a line, you know, or a curve, I guess it's very linear, but I thought the area was cool. Um, I never had as much of a problem with it in terms of the enemy placement like others did. I thought Shrine of Mana was great. So. Me too. With that weird, unearthly singing, and as, for as much as it's a pushover, the Demon of Song will always remain one of my favorite bosses, just because it's so different from most Dark Souls bosses, and it's very different from most Dark Souls Two bosses. Like, and again, it's a pushover, and it's it's kind of goofy looking, but I just I love it so much because it's different. I can't help it. It is a very cool design, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's it, it kind of stands out with the rest of the visual design of that area, especially with like the singing aspect, like you mentioned. And I love how it kind of feels like, um, I, I don't want to say it captures a similar like style or atmosphere to Ash Lake. Nothing touches Ash Lake. I, I legitimately think Ash Lake is the scariest moment or area in all of those games. Uh, but it kind of, it, it feels like you're, you're way underground. I kind of like that it feels like you're surrounded by the arch trees mm-hmm. in, a, in a way. Uh, I thought, yeah, visually, whew. Knocked out of the park. Yeah, it was really, really great. What is it about Ash Lake that's uh, that you find kind of intimidating uh, or scary? It is predominantly because, um, aside from Firelink Shrine, I think it's the only area in Dark Souls where there's music. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember that I, I wouldn't say I stumbled upon it, but I think I don't recommend going to Ash Lake before you have a Lord Vessel because you don't want to have to climb all the way 
Oh, no. <laughs> um, but I did. Anyway. So it was pretty early on in the game. And, you know, you go from Undead Berg and you travel down and go to the depths. And then you travel down to Blighttown. And then you travel further down all the way to the swamp. And then you get in this big tree and you travel further down. Um, and it feels like you're at the bottom of the world. And I hadn't been to Darkroot Basin yet, so I hadn't seen the Hydra. So I'm going through this tree that is completely encased. When you're going down through the tree, you have no concept of where you are in relation to anything else, really. Um, you know, if you're in uh, Blighttown, you can look up and you can see the, the light from the surface that you can see from Firelink Shrine, which is pretty cool. Um, but when you're going down the Great Hollow, you have it, it's like sensory deprivation. You have no idea what's going on. And then you emerge into Ash Lake, and it feels like you've stepped into a different planet. Um, you're in a lake that's filled with trees that feel like they're holding up the world you were in earlier. Um, and the music is terrifying, and the hydra is terrifying. And if you try and run from it, it jumps out of the water <laughs> to the other bank to chase you. I um, love that that moment yeah. where it jumps over on top of you, jumps over the top of you, and shoots down those weird water missiles. It's just so yeah. good. Le- legitimately terrifying. Scared, be senseless. Uh, and even once I've dealt with the hydra, just being in that area with the music, oh man, it is. It is unearthly, I would and if, say. If you got there that early, you probably uh, seen the mushroom men for the first time was probably pretty weird, and the clams was also probably pretty yeah, weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hadn't seen the clams. This was well before getting to the crystal caves. Like the clams were weird. There was a lot of weird stuff going on there. Um, oh, and the giant, um, the bones and the skeleton remains of giants and yeah. other weird creatures on the beach that are sticking out of the sand. Like, ooh, boy, there was, and also. Um, I think the symmetry, like how all the trees look like they're in equal distance from each other, like it's a grove, mm-hmm. and just that endless water, like, oh boy, that was, yeah, uh, I, I don't have a fear of water, like a, a lot of people have fear of open water, um, you know, they don't like to go in the ocean, they don't like to go canoeing, like it's never bothered me, but I feel like I get a sense of that phobia from Ash Lake. Yeah, I grew up like swimming in lakes and spending time on, <clears throat> you know, like in woods, in the country woods, lakes kind of areas where the water is, can be just completely black and uh, never really bothered me at all. Until I got to be about 13 and started seeing like, oh, there's horror movies that are totally based around this and it's <laughs> genuinely terrifying. So yeah, I, I don't get that, but man, there's just something, um, the whole game kind of works to make you feel inconsequential as a, as a character in the game. And there's something about Ash Lake that just hammers that home. I got there very, very Absolutely. late in my playthrough and man, I just felt like a tiny insignificant, like nothing, especially then you go into the end and see the everlasting dragon. And you're like, what these guys are still around. Like what is all of this stuff alive? What do you, yeah. what do I, is anything that I know true? The everlasting dragon also looks visually distinct from every other dragon you'll see in that game or thereafter. And you can't kill it. <laughs> it's it is there, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's crazy. Very good. What um, we kind of been bouncing around all over the place a little bit, but uh, after you bounced off Demon Souls, um, and you picked up Dark Souls, what do you think that was about Dark Souls um, that kind of hooked you? Uh, primarily, I think it was the sense of a more consistent pacing in Demon Souls. Uh, the worlds or the levels within a world are linked. But in Dark Souls, I, I kind of like the sense that when you're playing and you beat a boss and you go on to the next area, though there are distinct areas, it doesn't feel like you're ever stopping, I guess. You do go back to Firelink Shrine, although actually you don't have to because that was the only game where you could just level up at a bonfire whenever you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
yeah, it kind of felt like um, as long as you had a clear idea of what you needed to do next, your progress wasn't halted by levels or worlds or going back to a hub to do what you needed to do. Um, especially because you didn't, you couldn't teleport. Uh, in Demon Souls, you, you get to an archstone, you go back to the, the next level up. Um, in Dark Souls, you don't get that ability to teleport at all, and it's still not that convenient um, until they patched in more stuff you can... Uh, like, <laughs> until until the DLC came player. out, it's like, every bonfire yeah. can be warped to now. <laughs> yeah, initially you had like six or seven locations you could do, um, and half of them were worthless, because I think you'd warp to the bonfires of where you killed some of the um, the Lord Soul bosses, which is like, that doesn't help me. But uh, yeah, it, I think it, it helps make the world feel like it all flowed into each other, which I know that's one of the big aspects that people like about Dark Souls 1 over Demon Souls is that it is interconnected all Metroidvania style mm-hmm. rather than being like level select. Um, and I'm okay with either, but uh, I do think that the fact that there's not something that, in terms of game design, that's arbitrarily halting you to make you go back and do like, pick world two now or pick world three. The fact that you're just moving forward constantly, even though you can make decisions of where you want to go, if you know what you're doing. Um, I think it just made it more, more engaging to play through when I approached dark souls one. This is going to sound pretty, um, I guess maybe pretty simplistic, but it really, it made it feel like that it wasn't a video game at that point. Like at any point that the game was turned on, I had full control over my character. Like there was no stopping the world. There was no, you know, I'm not being whisked away to, like you said, a hub world or to a, like, I'm not getting teleported across the map or anything. Like one time a crow picked me up, but since then I've been on the ground, like controlling this character and I'm the only one that can really tell it, tell him or her where to go. And that's, yeah. that was something I don't play much like Skyrim or Elder Scrolls games. So that was something that was really, really new to me when I started playing dark souls of, wow, like, this world is just not ending. <laughs> Where are my, like, loading screens and my, my very obvious, like, I'm going to go into a tunnel so that it can load something on the other side of it for me? Like, hardly any of that exists in the game. Yeah, um, much, sometimes, maybe to the game's detriment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, gen- <laughs> like, generally, um, yeah, the, the world design and how it facilitates player progression in Dark Souls 1 is is brilliant, I would say. How long did it take you to start picking up on the story? Oh my god! I don't. I, <laughs> in the in the game, it never happened. I'm almost certain I didn't have an idea of what anything meant mm-hmm. or the consequences or the scope of the world as a whole until I went online. Um, and uh, I, I did do that before finishing the game. So I like I made it like two thirds of the way through, and then uh, I kind of got involved with the community a bit more and reading things, listening to epic name bros like really cool like lore videos and whatnot and then i finished the game so by the time i finished it i kind of had a better understanding of it but it was definitely not something i gleamed on my own so <laughs> you never started looking at those item descriptions and, and start putting stuff together not until i played later games okay. uh, and i, I kind of learned to do that for myself um but uh yeah initially uh the finer points of trying to I guess engross myself in, in Dark Souls storytelling didn't pan out until I had some online help to kind of push me in that direction. What about nowadays? You said with later games, you're starting to put those those kind of things together. Are you is that something that you like actively participate in on your first playthrough? Like, did you buy Bloodborne and was like, okay, I've got a notebook, a gamepad, a glass of water, and a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go. Uh, I would replace the coffee with tea, um, okay. and I didn't have a notebook. But basically, especially because I like whenever I play a new Souls game or I'm doing new DLC, I stream it. And there's usually someone in the chat um, 
or a, a regular of mine who goes by Dimera, who's wonderful. So if she's listening to this, like thumbs up. But um, I do have people that harbor me, like when I pick up a new item or a piece of equipment, like, oh, what does it say? Read it. And sometimes, like, I, I, I don't want to say I'm necessarily checklist minded, but I try to operate and play games like pretty efficiently. So usually, when I pick up an item, my first thought isn't like, oh, what's the significance of this in terms of the world? Um, but if I'm streaming and I have people pointing that out, then it's like, oh, yeah, then I'll read it. Um, and then I, I feel like I have a, a stronger grasp. So in that regards, the community has kind of kept me on track. Uh, but still, most of the time, I'm stumbling around in these games, not fully knowing what the hell is going on, <laughs> at least <laughs> on my first playthrough. Like like most people whose first name is not Vadi or Epic, right? <laughs> I Those guys are great. And they know way more than most of us. But on their first playthrough, I I think that they probably, even if they have the intention or the perception that they know a lot, I think that will change after the first playthrough. Um, not, nothing against those guys, but I don't think that any one person could really grasp that much of the story initially. So there's the way that this the. <clears throat> excuse me, the way that the games present the story, it's just too fragmented for me to even keep up with. Um, like, I remember when Dark Souls 2 came out, it was like, okay, this is my first Souls game that I've been here for the launch of. Like, at that time, I was doing a lot of YouTube videos, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to try to, like, incorporate some lore stuff and not just dumb PvP trolley vid- videos. Mm-hmm. And, like, wrote down, like, the word Firelink Keeper and just circled it. And that was the only note that I made in like 120 <laughs> hours. I just, my mind just cannot, I can't pull together uh, things like that. And I would, you know, I still read the item descriptions and try to take it in and kind of form my own thoughts. But as far as like organizing that and presenting it to another person, I'm just, I'm just not, that's just not my bag. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, Dark Souls 2 was the one I guess I, I kind of was most prepared for start to finish when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that was fascinating because when it was nearing release and coming out, I think the burning question is, okay, this is Dark Souls 2. What makes it Dark Souls 2? And I played through the game and I became, initially, you know, you play a few hours and it's like, I'm fighting Ornstein? What's going on? I mean, it, <laughs> the game does have some of those those cheap moments, I would say, mm-hmm. where it kind of, uh, it, it nestles it, um, the the callbacks and the references that people are probably looking for. But generally, I got way more distracted by the characters in the world that Dark Souls 2 introduced, and I wasn't so worried about expecting the final boss to be Gwyn 2.0 or something like that. You know, I, I wasn't... It wasn't like I was playing resident evil 7 and i'm expecting the aha moment where it finally links back to prior games um i really do admire dark souls 2 for how well i think it stands on its own um and i'm I'm glad it actually didn't rely too much on dark souls 1 in that regard it's hey this takes place so far after the first game what you did doesn't matter i mean the the bosses are linked in some way to the bosses from dark souls 1 but that's not that important Look, looking back, um, I remember being disappointed in, in Dark Souls 2 because of that, because it didn't have the links to you know the characters that I had grown to, to know and love, or the story that I'd grown to know, know and love. Um, mm-hmm. But man, after since since they've given us Dark Souls 3, which is basically Dark Souls 1-2, now I'm like, well, nope, nope. I was, I, I was they, they gave me what I actually wanted back then, and I was too stupid to realize it. <laughs> I wanted I, I something was about, that was separated. I was going to ask, actually, uh, I about... 
Dark Souls three, the there are references to Dark Souls two. Um, so it's it's not like that three forgets two happened. But um, what is your opinion? I mean, Dark Souls three has some pretty. I don't want to say egregious. That makes it sound like it's inherently negative. But it's pretty on the nose with some of the stuff that it references in regards to the first game. I I, I like Dark Souls three a lot. I think mechanically, it's probably one of the best playing Souls games. I think that um, over the course of the last God, Demon Souls came out in two thousand nine, so we're, we're approaching eight years of these games, which is mind boggling to think of the, the five huge games that they've released in eight years. Um, yeah, I think they've slowly, for whatever reason, they've kind of adopted. Um, their own marketing to an, to a point. Uh, I, I don't need another boss to fill up his HP um, in the middle of a fight. I don't need a boss with like four faces. Bloodborne was kind of the limit for that stuff with me, and I think some of the some of the end stuff, especially some of like the very very deep chalice dungeon stuff, is. Even, and I love chalice dungeons. I'm a, I am an unabashed apologizer for chalice dungeons. <laughs> the uh, some of the HP bloat through those games have been kind of aggravating. From a lore perspective, I, I I really enjoyed some of the stories that it was telling. I I managed to do both of the rare quest lines in Dark Souls Three my first time without kind of a lot of outside help. I ended up with the Lord of Hollows ending, and I finished out um, like I walked into uh, Yorm's fight and oh shit, Onion Bro! <laughs> like I had no oh, idea yeah. that was coming. <laughs> yeah, when Seaford walks into that fight with you, like that was a legitimately amazing moment. The boss becomes even more of a pushover. But it's worth it for that, like that cinematic flair. Yeah, I think, and, and as much as I liked it at the time, as I was going through with it, um, and as much as I enjoy just like the basic mechanics, I think it's really, really fun to play. Although I miss some of uh, Bloodborne's just intricate weapon combos. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the my issue with it is it doesn't hold up. Like Dark Souls One felt like you could just keep scraping layers away and finding more and more information, and Dark Souls Two felt like you could do that with certain stories, and Dark Souls Three felt like after you just scrape that initial layer of plot over, like there's just nothing there connecting. It just felt like a whole lot of just unrelated ideas. Like, oh yeah, we have to have chaos in the game because it's the last Dark Souls game. Oh no, no, we have to we have to have like a weird dragon thing because it's you know it's Dark Souls Three. It's the last Souls game. We have to have a dragon thing. So. Yeah, I uh what about I, you? I think it's also I I would pretty much agree. Um I I think that like the High Wall of Lothric, the first real area of the game, uh gorgeous area, has some really cool stuff in it, but you don't need to start a Souls game in a fortress or castle with <laughs> a tight walkway where a dragon's gonna breathe fire at you and it's also going to kill some of the enemies for you too, for like it as a a cinematic flare type thing. Like I, I don't think that needs to happen. Um I don't think you need to have the distinctly like bigger, more imposing knights that all have tower shields and great swords, uh, and that's fine. Those are fun enemies. I think that they are implemented well into the game. But aside from the the puss of man um, enemy, which I think there's two of in the Highwell of Lothric, like aside mm-hmm. from that, that area doesn't really do anything. Uh, the boss looks spectacular, um, Vort specifically, but boy, what a pushover! Um, I, I think that Dark Souls Three does get better as it goes, for the most part. But initially, like the first area, and from there on, it didn't really feel like it was incredibly inspired. Yeah, and I think that's and again, five games in eight years, like with the last three games having enormous DLC expansions and things like that. Like there's 
I'm surprised those dudes are, and those dudes and those ladies are still out there putting out games, like, and not just have collapsed across their desk at this point. Like, you know, just, I mean, it just seems yeah. like they've done so much work and I really, like, I want to give, I want somebody to give them the freedom to not have to put, you know, the words Dark Souls 4 into a title screen somewhere. Like, just, just go do anything else. Like, Bloodborne was such a breath of fresh air that there were no ties. I don't mm-hmm. think that there were any. Like there was like uh, maybe yeah, like a there's a weird Bloodborne reference and excuse me, a weird Demon Souls reference in Bloodborne, but that's it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's uh, it's its own beast, no mm-hmm. pun intended. But I, I do love that about it. Uh, and the Soul series was essentially annual for a few years. 2014 is two. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2015 is Bloodborne. 2016 is uh, Dark Souls three. On top of the DLC that all of those games got, um, and we're almost a year after Dark Souls three, and we haven't seen an announcement for. Souls 4 or whatever successor could be. Um, I'm sure there's something that works, but I, I don't think we'll see a Dark Souls 4, or if we do, it's gonna they're going to let the series rest for a while, and if it does come back, it's going to be like a, a triumphant sort of like, hey, this is back, it's not what you expect, we're going we're gonna to do some really interesting, fresh things, and it's going to be important that this is Dark Souls. Um, at least I have a lot of faith that they they wouldn't roll out a Dark Souls 4 akin to how they did 3. And not that I dislike 3. I think 3 is still great. But uh, I almost wish that they had gone... They had more so done what Dark Souls 2 did, where it's like, hey, this is so far after the previous game. What happened there? Doesn't matter. Here's an all-new story with some tenuous connections. You're probably not even going to hear a name uttered that was in the previous game. It's all going to be vague. But Dark Souls 3 does this weird thing where it references events of Dark Souls 2 in extremely literal ways that confuses me like immensely, because in Dark Souls 2, no one knows anything about Dark Souls 1 in that world. Like, it's so far after. You might, people might talk about like extremely vague references, but they never say Lordran, they never say Gwyn, they never reference these people by name. But then you have people from Kareem in Dark Souls 3 Apparently, after the events of two, I guess you know, time converging on itself. Lothric is a transitory land. Like, I, I guess it's the excuse. I don't like that excuse. I hesitate to use this term, but it seems lazy. <laughs> um, I, I really, I really don't like using that term in terms of writing or game design. But if that's the excuse, if that's why you have a carbon copy of Siegmeier, who's a little different and is technically a different character, if that's why you have someone like that, if that's why you have this weird world where two and one can coexist in a strange way. Uh, man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't harp too much. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I'm glad that somebody else is doing it. Cause it's usually just me. <laughs> yeah. If it's not me complaining about the, the long and terrible advertising campaign for dark souls three, I'm just kind of complaining about the, the lore connections. I, think, I skipped almost all of it. I, I, I did watch some of the trailers after the fact and found that they spoiled like all of the bosses and even some of the endings. And it's like, just let From do their marketing, please. Namco, you don't have to do this. <laughs> compare and contrast that with the way that uh, Bloodborne was handled by Sony. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, you had no concept of the cosmic entity crap going on in that game. Not at it. all. I um, For a completely random reason, um, I was going back and forth on Twitter with some dudes about how terrible, like, I don't know if you've seen this stuff on Facebook where they do like the automatic targeted marketing and then they give you t- these terrible Dark Souls shirts. Um, like a picture of Havel and get wrecked and a vaguely souls mm-hmm. wrecked souls font is like for $25 or whatever. That Have you hurts. seen any of this stuff? <laughs> I, 
I've seen the official Dark Souls merchandising shirts, mm-hmm. and it sounds, I mean, I don't think it was that specifically, but it's, like, similarly, like, lowest common denominator, like, requires minimal effort or thought to put this on a shirt kind of thing. Uh, so I, I think I can get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that actually inspired me to go look for the official stuff, because I hadn't seen it for so long, and I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of don't pay attention to Namco unless it's, like, a Dark Souls announcement anyway, um, or, you know, every once in a while Soul Calibur. But uh, I went and looked at it, and, like, they sell a Dark Souls 3 shirt with a picture of Seath on it. Oh, really? And a Dark Souls 3 shirt with, with a picture of Gwen on it. <laughs> and I was like, I don't... Okay, like, I mean, it's your brand. Like, it's not mine to... But okay, <laughs> whatever, that man. Seems, that seems disingenuous. On, actually, on one hand, that seems like it's entirely within the spirit of Dark Souls 3. So, sure. I mean, yeah. thumbs up. Put a, <laughs> put a Solaire on it, right? Just like that's, Portlandia. That's, that's, <laughs> just that's put a, a Solaire cruel. on it. That's a little cruel. Uh, I shouldn't have been that mean about it. But yeah, that, that just seems like... I don't know. Uh, the the folks that are doing the marketing don't really understand the IP that they're peddling. I guess does Namco own Dark Souls? Because I think FromSoft publishes it themselves in Japan. I don't know what ownership Namco has because they're pretty pushy. It seems like they do a lot of things that don't necessarily require the consent or cooperation of FromSoft. Yeah, I don't think that Miyazaki signed off on Slashy Souls. Or, right. Um, you mentioned earlier right. that uh, you were kind of you got kind of big into the community, and that's how I came upon you. Is um, mm-hmm. the Lord Dran and Beyond is your? I don't even know how you would describe it. It's obviously a, like it's a comic series, but you're doing so much more than that nowadays. Can you kind of walk me through on what what that is to you, and which what your part in it is? Uh, I think describing it as a web comic is a pretty. Uh, uh, I think that's a pretty accurate way of putting it. There's maybe a bit more to it, but long and short, it's a webcomic. Um, I generally will sometimes have like some multi-part ongoing stories like that might last a few months. Uh, the initial story that the comic pitched with, which was Dark Souls 2, that ended up going for 40 pages. It lasted quite a while. And with the limited funding I had, that was stretched across like seven months. But now I can do like a 25-page story in three months if I need to. Um but uh, it's generally like some some you know two to four part bigger stories, and then every now and then there's like a, a one shot story that's maybe like eight to twelve pages. Uh, sometimes they're more humorous driven, but I try and be refreshing and add, add a decent amount of variety with the characters and games that I utilize. So, how did you get started with that? Like, what was the? Were you just like I'm I'm so into these games that I have to I have to do something? What what, what was the what was the impetus? Uh, actually. Um, it's uh, it actually was literally nothing like that. <laughs> so initially, my big inspiration was Transformers. Uh, with and it will look background, I promise. But uh, I am a big Transformers fan, and I got really into the series like 2013, 2014, and uh, I was looking to find some kind of in for writing because I love writing, and I love I would love to do comic book writing. Um, I would love to do video game writing, all that kind of stuff. Sounds like it'd be a blast. So, uh, one of my friends, Heather works for valve software and she does art for the team fortress two comics. And she works with the incredible writers, um, Eric Wolpaw and, uh, Jay who wrote portal two. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric just quit valve recently, actually. So he doesn't work there anymore. Um, he's still on contract to help finish up the team fortress two comic. Uh, the final issue is, eventually but uh they're working on that right now anyway so any any half-life three news you want to spill out just in the middle of the dark souls podcast (laughs) i 
Uh, I think you know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know the answer. So, uh, but anyway, I was curious, like, you know, how these guys landed a job at you know, the video game company with the best retention in the company, and they probably get they're probably the best paid writers in the industry. You know, how did the, how did they get noticed? And she said that they basically just kind of did their own comic stuff on their own until someone noticed them. Uh, and I, I don't know the exact sequence of events, but that was kind of what she said. Initially, she said it was really simple. They would basically just like redub, like rewrite certain things in existing panels. And I'm like, I, I think I could probably take that a step further. So, uh, and with Transformers, I was reading an amazing series called Transformers More Than Meets the Eye, written by James Roberts. And it, it completely remolds these characters in some amazing ways. Like if you ever have any doubts about the storytelling capabilities for Transformers, like read the series, it, I'm not even joking. It will legitimately change your life. Um, and uh, I was so inspired by that. And at the time specifically, it was like, I don't necessarily have to only write Transformers, but that's, that's something I would love to do right now. And I have this blog, this soul's dedicated blog that I've been running for a couple years already. It has a, a pretty significant following um, and I'm thinking, I wonder if I can just invest some capital into just writing my own thing. You know, I've got some money set aside. I can, I can get this going on my own. And then maybe if people like it, like they can pitch in and help, help it grow. And, and then I won't have to pay out of pocket to keep doing it. So it was pretty much kind of the, the angle of, I don't know how to get someone to hire me to do this. So I'll do it myself is what it came down to basically. Sure. Um, and Dark Souls 2 is still pretty new at the time. I really like some of the NPCs from that. I adore them. I, I think that characters like Luke Teal and Ben Hart and Strayed and uh, Gavlan, oh, Gavlan. I, I think they're <laughs> on par with um, a lot of Dark Souls 1 characters. So I, I did. I started out with the Luke Teal and Ben Hart uh, story that was drawn by Artsy Window, and he did the lines and colors for that. It was very dedicated. He helped me out a ton. Um, like super amazing guy that helped me get this off the ground. Uh, and for a while, like, I mean, any Patreon, especially when you have something that I'm not going to say that I, I broke new ground, but the kind of comic project I was pitching was not, I, I didn't see any, like any contemporaries like that, especially on Patreon. So it was, it was kind of tough to break into, but it did pick up steam. I barely have to invest it in myself nowadays. Um, almost all of the money goes to, uh, the, the artists now pretty much. Um, so it, it's, it's like, you know, you, you pay for the artists, but, uh, it, it was initially like, I wonder if I can do this and get noticed. And now it's like, well, shit, now I'm doing this and it, I, it doesn't pay like a job, but it, it kind of feels like a passion that I approach like a job, which is pretty fascinating, especially because with the support and funding I have now from Patreon, I, I don't just have to worry about, I can only afford to do, you know, three to four pages a month. I can do eight pages. You know, if I'm feeling really ambitious, I can probably do 10 or 12 pages and I can do wallpapers. I can do sketches for patrons that pay a certain threshold, things like that. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about your current, uh, run, which I believe is still the Oswald and Tarkus series. That one is a one shot. Oh, it is? Uh, okay. So that, yeah, that is a one shot series. The ongoing story is with Eileen and the bloody crow of Canehurst. Um, that will probably finish up in early April. Uh, although I do have a dark souls three comic that is planned to go up early next month. Um, if you've seen any of the comics with the animated panels done mm -hmm. by uh, Nick Fu, um, she does incredible stuff. Uh, so she's going to be doing a Dark Souls 3 themed one that should be up within the next couple weeks. So I have a. Um, the only reason I brought up the Oswald and Tarkus one is because those are two of my favorite NPCs. In the game. Boy, I, I, I love Solaire. 
I, Soler is, you know, he, he's deep into my heart. But Oswald is fantastic. I think his voice actor, his design, it's actually really a shame that I think the design you see in the art book is not necessarily done justice in the game. Um, but yeah, I, Oswald's a great character, and I, I loved writing him into the Stiegling comic mm -hmm. that I did uh, a couple years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that giving him a little more of a spotlight was a lot of fun. Two of my like most popular and also the videos that I've made that I like the most were braced around uh, Karmic Justice, which of course Oswald sells, and it's kind of his whole thing. And uh, I do something called a Fat Tarkus build. Um, where I just hold people hostage at the top of sins and don't let them go anywhere for <laughs> like 30 to 45 minutes at a time. So, oh like, my God. Yeah. I, I'm one of those. I'm sorry. I'm one of those. That's fine. I, I was, uh, I was all about the rat covenant in dark souls too. So I'm a, I'm scumbag too. Uh, yeah, excellent. Uh, excellent. Aldrich deal. faithful, mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. dark souls three, all about that too. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a PVP scumbag too. That was the first PVP covenant I found in the game. Cause I'm, I somehow missed all the watcher stuff and, uh, just, yeah, man, just did that for hours. Just camped out in, in Orlando and just I'm just just gonna be I'm just gonna be a mean guy for like three or four hours. Especially because you it can stack Aldrich Faithful and Normal Invaders like on one poor host. Oh no, it's pretty so good. good. It's so pretty good. good. <laughs> what is it about Dark Souls that brings out like the inner scumbag to people in multiplayer? Because I'm not I'm a pretty nice guy in like real life. Like I'm I'm okay, but I'm literally in the book of Dark Souls about being an asshole. Like it's ridiculous. I think it's primarily because if you're attacking a host there are consequences there's weight to their loss and it feels satisfying as horrible as it sounds i think it feels satisfying to take that from them mm -hmm. and also uh i think that the way dark souls is built in general just facilitates doing creatively mean things to other players especially with the level design um and the ridiculous amount of spells and weapons you can use against them uh i, I think it's just built to do that kind of thing so well, cool. I, one of the questions I like to ask everybody on this podcast is, uh, and we, we brushed up against it earlier, but I want to kind of get into it a little bit more deep, deeply. Um, if like they haven't announced necessarily a soul sequel, like uh, from software has three or four projects in the works. Um, one is almost definitely an armored core series, but or entry. Mm -hmm. uh, what, where would you like to see them go? Like, where, where would you like to see them do next? I've, can I, can I have two answers? You can have, <laughs> one you of, can have as many answers is, as you. Okay. All right. One's very simple. Uh, I just want a new a new IP that is a sole successor. I want a Bloodborne 2 that's not Bloodborne. I would love Bloodborne 2. I'd be psyched on that, but I don't know if I need Bloodborne 2. I think that Bloodborne is brilliant and amazing on its own. Uh, I wouldn't say no to a sequel, of course, or anything that they would decide to add to that. But uh, I think I feel comfortable with where Bloodborne's at. It just feels so whole and unique and perfect, and Bloodborne's my favorite, if you couldn't figure this out. but Yeah, I guess we um, need to go back and talk about Bloodborne in a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so Bloodborne is, is the ideal for me. Uh, I don't think I need to see anything added to that. So I want something new. I want you know the successor that is a new IP that is recognizably Souls, but ha doesn't lead you into preconceived notions about what happened in this world before you started playing. You know? Mm -hmm. um, my other answer... And this definitely won't happen because Capcom already decided to take the series in this new direction. Um, but uh, I would love to see a Resident Evil game that has kind of the structure and the design of a Souls game because uh, Resident Evil has, at least until 7, and I actually was not that psyched on 7, but that's a different conversation. Um, a lot of people think that Resident Evil had lost its horror luster and its survival horror appeal 
Um, but I think the Dark Souls games and Bloodborne and Demon Souls, I think those games can be very scary, but you rack up a huge body count. They're still action games at their core. You're still killing everything you see, but they can be scary and they can feel threatening. I think having FromSoft help adopt that mantra that can balance horror and action mm-hmm. like the Souls games do for a Resident Evil game would be amazing. And the Souls games also have built-in co-op and they can still be scary. So you could do a Resident Evil game that has co-op and action and is scary and has exploration and things like that too um, as a big emphasis. Um, Capcom went with the more like contained first-person horror design for 7, which I think is, is really cool. I don't think it made for a great game, sadly. But uh, I think that seeing a Resident Evil game done by Way of Souls, at least in some aspects, would be fantastic. This is like the 60 or 65th episode I've recorded of this podcast, and that is the first time I've heard Resident Evil Souls as a response to that question. I have thought about it so much. (laughs) How often do people respond like, I want to see this franchise by way of Souls? Is that a common answer? Uh, um, The episode hasn't come out yet, um, but a couple of episodes ago, someone told me they wanted Idol Master Souls. And oh. I, yeah, I had to look up what Idolmaster was because I was oh. like, I'm not sure. I, I think I know, like I have an idea in my head of what that is, but I really no, I definitely don't see how this could work. But yeah, my buddy, my buddy Banshee Beat said, yeah, yeah, Idolmaster Souls would be the way to go. Most of the I time, go ahead. Love to see that explained. <laughs> yeah, that'll be on a on an upcoming um, here in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, most of the time it's. Um, like my pitch for Bloodborne Two has always been Bloodborne Two, but totally separated from that weird Victorian Gothic thing. But to do like Western Bloodborne, like Americana Gothic horror type stuff. Ooh, that would be um, interesting. But like that's usually what I get is like Western Bloodborne or Sci-Fi Souls or um, you know Star Wars Souls or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Resident Evil Souls is not something. I, do you think they you would lose something? My my experience with Resident Evil games is mostly four, um, mm-hmm. and uh, like I think I played through five. Like I haven't played seven yet, and I didn't bother with six, and I have never gone back to play the the old ones. Like, do you think? I know those games have a reputation of being kind of goofy. Do you think you lose something in the translation of running it through a through from software? Who? I mean, um, they they can be funny, but they're very rarely like over the top, like goofy. Right. I, I do like the goofy appeal of Resident Evil. That is very important to me. I don't necessarily think that you have to have from software write it. Or, like, mm-hmm. do, like, the the story and the character design on it. But, like, let's say they do. Let's say that it's all in. Um, I, I think that even if it's, you know, the silliness and the camp value of Resident Evil isn't as prevalent in a potential Resident Souls game, I would still like to see FromSoft kind of approach it from there. Because, yeah, like you said, those games can be funny. Um, a lot of that stuff is built by the player. I mm-hmm. don't know how you can incorporate a mechanic, like, bloodstains into a resident evil game but um from stuff has shown that from a gameplay standpoint they can be hilarious uh and i think that would be a really interesting way for resident evil to kind of approach that sense of camp that those games typically do so so normally i would wrap this up but i mistakenly skipped over bloodborne in our conversation about the games we just mm-hmm. kind of skimmed by it so i kind of want to hear your like opinion about bloodborne you, you mentioned that you were a pc gamer yeah and uh like did, was it was it just a 500 hundred dollar video game for you um yes <laughs> that's straight strange yes i um when i saw the leaks for project beast mm-hmm. uh and i was like oh this is is this victorian era dark souls and this guy has a shotgun and it, it, in the trailer, it showed it was also being made by SCE Japan, um, 
just the, the same folks that also help with Demon Souls. It's like, well, this is obviously PS4 exclusive. Buying a PS4, and then like <laughs> a few weeks later, Bloodborne was officially announced at E3, and I was like, okay, I made the right call. Um, I wouldn't say that I like Bloodborne is the only value I got on my PlayStation 4, but it was the reason why I bought it, and it was wholly worth it. I actually also bought a Wii U specifically for Bayonetta 2 under circular, similar circumstances, mm-hmm. although Bayonetta 2 is literally the only value I got out of my Wii U. <laughs> so <laughs> also worth it. Um, but yeah, I you know as long as these games don't go in the direction of like VR where I have to have this like the console and a four hundred dollar peripheral to play it, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't mind shelling out a significant chunk of change to be able to play them. Especially because Bloodborne is one of the most brilliant things i've ever experienced <laughs> so what did you how did you come to terms with like the change to the core mechanics like all of a sudden you know you're you lost a shield you're moving around a lot faster you know our, our healing items are different did you kind of just were you able to just handle that very quickly and get into the gameplay or did was that difficult for you um it it was kind of a little wishy-washy i was excited about those changes any any distinct like vast changes you're going to make to a formula that i'm comfortable with i'm excited for Unless it's like, we're getting rid of New Game Plus, or New Game Plus won't have rearranged enemies. Okay, that actually did legitimately piss me off. Um, I wish they kept that from Dark Souls 2. One of the great features that game did. Yep. Why'd you throw it away? Why did you get uh, rid of... Uh, do you remember when, uh, what's her name, the spider boss fell out of nowhere in New Game Plus? Like, what the yes. hell? That was so good. Early when you're fighting the Lost Center and the two red phantom pyromancers coming in Zach, you, and it's like, oh, dude, it cha- transforms that fight. Oh, gosh. Dark Souls 2 did some brilliant stuff. Also, being able to be invaded in an area... Wherein you've killed the boss and also summoned shades, like yep. oh my god, you're taking steps back. I don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, but yeah, um, th- there are some some minuses to Bloodborne, of course. But generally, uh, I was able to not ne- even if I didn't, you know, adjust perfectly. I was excited about those changes, especially because I come from a pedigree of Ninja Gaiden and Onimusha and Don't May Cry and you know Bayonetta. So I, those. The games that are faster action that where you don't use shields and things like that, uh, stuff that I absolutely love, um, and that uh, looked like a lot of fun. Um, it, I did trip up a little bit, like Cleric Beast. I made my bitch my first time, no big deal. Father Gascoigne took a solid hour of attempts, so it's not like I was just an instant master at this game. It did kick my ass. Um, I think it has maybe the. If, especially if you include Chalice Dungeon stuff and the DLC, but generally I think Bloodborne felt like it was the hardest of for me of all the games. Yeah, when you include some of the some of the DLC bosses, especially once you get into like New Game Plus, like just they're they're they one shot you all the time, and also they have tons yeah. of HP. So yeah, I I didn't think that the HP sponginess of the DLC bosses was too bad, mm-hmm. um, especially because you could visceral attack them. Unlike you know you get into the Chalice Dungeons, you can't visceral attack the fucking um, Watchdog of the Old Lords. Oh my god, uh, oh, that guy not not into that guy. Um, but yeah, I Bloodborne just just hit all the right notes. Visual design, uh, the way the game feels is amazing. Uh, it does have some quality of life step backs from Dark Souls 2. I really wish they'd incorporated. But again, the fact that it has those problems that I it makes me not even care about them is a testament to how good the rest of the game is. Well, I think that's a pretty good spot to end it on some Bloodborne love, which is what I like to end it on. Uh, mm-hmm. Zach, thank you very much for spending the, the last hour or so with me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you very much. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? And feel free to plug anything that you want to. 
Sure. Um, the main website you can check out is lordrenandbeyond.com. Uh, that's where you can read all the comics. Uh, you can see all the wallpapers that $10 plus patrons get. So even if you don't want to pledge to get the high-res wallpaper, you can still check out all the art on the website. Um, there's patreon.com slash lordrenandbeyond. Uh, you can support the comic if you like what you see. Uh, like 99% of the money goes to the artists. So if you want to support those guys, that's the way to do it. Um, and then there's the blog that I run, which is tumblr.lordrenandbeyond.com, which is not entirely comic-centric, but it does focus primarily on kind of giving uh, spotlight to fan arts and really cool fan creations. And it's also a nice way to keep up on uh, when new comics are posted and things like that. So All, all, all are recommended. I, f- I was a big follower of your Tumblr like way, way before the Comic 6 series started. So, really? Uh, yeah, Thank yeah, you. Uh, for a long time, it was Fuck Yeah Dark Souls, and then I decided yep. when I was doing this comic, I had to move it in a little more sophisticated direction in terms of naming. <laughs> so... <laughs> My uh, my one Tumblr claim to fame is I had the Dark Souls hate mail website, and that was uh, for real. Yeah, that Dark Souls oh, haters is me. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh, it's, I did not know that. Yeah, it's yeah. That's yeah. I don't. It's not something that I put like on my LinkedIn profile or anything. <laughs> oh, dude, that's wild. That's really really cool. Yeah, Dark Souls haters. What am I? Oh my god! A, co- a former coworker of mine loved that shit. Uh, I don't know if he still visits Tumblr, but like he's the kind of guy that just gets off on salt. And uh, oh boy, he loved that stuff. <laughs> oh, it was it's it's a lot of fun. I, I've it's fallen kind of in disuse over the last like because I I don't do as much Dark Souls PvP as I did back in the day, so I just don't get <laughs> as much hate mail and. Also playing on PS4 is kind of garbage, but yeah, I had a lot of fun running that site for several several oh, years. Now, what you said earlier about doing like trolley PvP videos is, uh, as opposed to like lore, but that makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, I guess I got to start I, including this stuff in the like you may know me from, but that just seems like such a yeah. such a kind of an asshole thing to do. So I don't think so. Well, I mean, that's not a bad thing necessarily. God, I, like plus ten insight. Oh man, I've learned <laughs> so much just now. Um. But yeah, I, I would I would definitely recommend visiting all of those sites. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't mind saying that I'm, I'm a patron to your Patreon, and all of the artwork and stuff is super super cool. It's just like, hey, there's you know free wallpapers for my phone all the time, or my laptop, or yeah. wherever. So, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. Are you on Twitter, Zach? I didn't I didn't mention I didn't even ask. Uh, yes, at Cursed Sirkai is where you can find me. Uh, it's not my my Twitter's. I don't put a ton of effort into it. I'll post new things on there, but it's primarily just retweeting a lot of soul stuff. So yeah. uh, it is, and it, the following is not enormous. Um, so it's nice if you want to see some retweeted stuff. I would say, but uh, it's not the go-to source. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. Uh, you can find this podcast at DontGiveUpSkeleton.com. If you're like me and you have a short attention span, pay attention to our Instagram where I post 60-second previews of the podcast in that week. You can go kind of get an idea of what all of the shows are like. Thank you, as always, for listening. And remember, don't give up, Skeleton. And we're good. Yeah, dude, that was great. Thank you very much. That, that was an absolute blast. Thank you again very much for... Uh, was this your first podcast? I didn't really even ask you if you would. Uh, not quite. I did a, a series. It was more of like an examination series with uh, someone from a message board. And as I say, on a message board I grew up on, but that is kind of the case. Um, and you know, like I'm a like something that. awful boy since from 2001. So yeah, right, that's, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Uh, fun fact for something awful. Uh, a long time ago, I got banned from something awful by Slow Beef, which was... <laughs>